and welcome to the True Grit Podcast, where we believe that personal growth and helping each other solve important problems is the best way to make the world a better place. I'm your host, Craig Couch, and every week it's my job to interview top performers and unlock the secrets of their success so that you and I can apply some of their thought patterns, daily rituals, and strategies to our own missions. My next guest has been described as a personal Warren Buffett, Dalai Lama, Bobby Fischer, and Vince Lombardi all wrapped into one guy. One of his clients said he is the single greatest human asset we have in our corner. Tony Ford's passion for over 30 years has been helping Fort Worth businesses succeed, and this has inspired him to create one-of-a-kind solutions to accelerate their growth. Success Fort Worth is the most recent addition to this long list of Fort Worth-focused initiatives, which have included senior partner at Casper & Associates, which is Fort Worth's most trusted uh, mergers and acquisitions firm. He was the founder and CEO of Salon Support, which is the nation's second largest distributor of tanning lotion products and equipment. He was the founder and CEO of, of Ford Leadership Solutions, founding VP and general manager of Flash Photo, which was Fort Worth's first chain of eight one-hour photo finishing labs, which is totally fascinating. Uh, he was also, this is such a wide variety over 40 years, uh, he was the founding CEO of Ride Television Network, which is Fort Worth's first and only national television network dedicated to sharing the horse lifestyle around the world. Uh, he was also founding partner and VP of Sidelights, which has reflectorized America's trucking fleets and railroad cars. Uh, in 2020, he was awarded the Entrepreneur of Excellence Award, and Ernst & Young voted him the Entrepreneur of the Year and inducted him in the Hall of Fame for supporting other Fort Worth private business owners. Uh, he completed two hotter-than-hell 100 bike races on a freaking mountain bike. We'll get to that later. Uh, he's a graduate of the a graduate of the Wooden Boat School in Brooklyn, Rhode Island. Tony, wow! Welcome to the True Grit Podcast. Well, thanks, Craig. You, you left out the best part. <laughs> Which is that? What did I leave out? Tell I me. Kept the same woman happy for forty two years. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Actually, this is going to be a fun conversation, um, and I'm excited to get rolling. I, I thought a good jumping in point is with a story. And I heard that you were run over by a speedboat. Yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> it was when I turned, it was right after I turned uh, 40 years old. I had my niece from up in South Dakota. She'd never been on a Sea-Doo. I had her at Lake Benbrook and toured her around the lake on my Sea-Doo. And so I got way ahead of her and stopped for her to catch up. And I realized at the last moment, she was coming at about 35 miles an hour, that she was just yanking the handlebars on the on her Sea-Doo. And it wasn't turning because she forgot to give it gas. They, right. don't, have a, they don't have a rudder. So no. if you don't give it power, it doesn't turn. Right. So right at the last second, I realized that she was going to hit me. I jumped up on, from my Sea-Doo. She came, put the nose of hers in my right hip, threw me about 30 feet. Couldn't feel anything below my waist. And what that all turned out to be, there's a funny story about trying to get back to shore. I'll, I'll spare you. What happened was it started a 10-year uh, a journey uh, through paralysis wow. and pain. And so a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, money, <laughs> a lot of doctor's visits. Uh, nothing could help me until about I turned 50. So about, 10, about a decade later, um, I became the first person to have two artificial spinal discs put in 
where the broken ones, the crushed ones down in my lower back were. And so I went from being basically an invalid to getting up from that bed and walking kind of, you know, like a biblical story. Completely so I got my life back. That's and it actually, this is so crazy. It was actually 15 years ago tomorrow that that happened, that I got, that I got my surgery. And um, the doctors told me that that would work for a while, for maybe five or six years. They were right. And so about seven years later, the, the discs above it started to collapse. And um, so I've got rods and screws and artificial parts all over my body. Um, but they are God's gift. Man. And so I pretty much get to do what I want to do. I get up every morning, get to work with people I enjoy and love and mm. contribute and make a little money. And, and I'm all done. That's incredible. Well, I do want you, I don't want you to spare me. How in the world did you get to shore <laughs> without well, having any feelings in your legs? You can imagine after, after hitting me, my niece kind of thought she killed her uncle. <laughs> I kind of thought she had too. So we weren't in disagreement there, but she was about 20 feet away and I'm bobbing up and down and I can't feel anything. And so, but I've got a life jacket on. Mm -hmm. So I tell her to stay put and I paddle my way over to her and I grab the back of her seat and I said, now listen, just give it a little bit of gas. Let's head over toward the shore. Well, sure enough, now she's found the throttle. She just floors that thing. I suck up half of Lake Benbrook. It blows me back about 10 feet. Now I'm thinking I'm drowning. She's another 20 feet away. And I say, hey, hey, stop. Just stop. Just let go of everything. So I'm spitting and probably cussing and paddle my way back to her. Now, Mm, learn something, you know, you can learn from the past, can't change it, but you can learn from it. So I grabbed the side of the seat. There you go. <laughs> because past is prologue. And I say, okay, just give it a little bit of gas. And of course, naturally she floors it, but it goes by me this time. And so we get to shore, we call the ambulance and the rest is history. Ooh, so. I'm so glad you're okay. Wow. Uh, that is miraculous. <laughs> well, well, I was a lot prettier back then. So, you know, there is a, there is a, there is a cost to this stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, Man, Tony, I've I've interviewed a lot of top performing guys, and um, one of the common threads that I've always uh, noticed um, is that they have these incredibly strong women in their mm -hmm. corner. Mm -hmm. um, and you've already mentioned it; like you couldn't wait to to, to mention it. Um, and I would love for you to tell me about Jane's role in your journey. Well. Anybody that knows me or gets to know me knows about Jane in about the first 15 minutes we're together hmm. because there really isn't any Tony without Jane. Hmm. Um, we got married when I was, she walked into my restaurant one night. I was a young steak and ale manager, steak and ale restaurant manager. Really? She literally walked into my restaurant with her mother. And I asked my waitress to ask her if she was engaged or married. And if not, could I come and talk to her? So pretty bold. She said, no, I came and talked to her, asked her out. She said, yes. We were holding hands in the movie line, and we've been holding hands for 42 years ever since. Uh, Jane is one of those unique people. She has no guile. She has no agenda. She just wants to be good to people. Hmm. And so because I'm all full of guile, I'm a sales guy. I'm a yeah. visionary entrepreneur. You know, I, I know what I'm trying to do. And so she's the perfect balance for me. Hmm. And uh, it's funny, my license tags on the car I drive every day kind of tell the story. People are saying, why are you always happy so all the time for it. And I point to my license tag. And for 30 years, it says, love Jane. Aww. I said, well, if you'd gotten Jane, 
you'd be happy too. But I got her. <laughs> I got her, sucker. And she I'm didn't have a sister. So, I mean, you're kind of out of luck. I don't know what to tell you. You know, go do the best you can. So, you know, Jane is the perfect balance to me. And, you know, our ministry for 40 years has been to newlywed couples, newlyweds mm-hmm. and newlyweds, helping them uh, in that first two years try to learn how to be married. Oh. And a lot of them, I mean, people we've known now for 30 years don't know our last name. Hmm. We're just Tony and Jane because hmm. they don't need to know our last name. We're just Tony and Jane. And, and we're, the, we're the completion of each other. So, you know, our marriage has been based on scripture. Hmm. You know, we give God the credit for everything that's happened. Um, and I just wake up every day amazed that this incredible woman, you know, chose to spend her life with me. And uh, it's been, it's been, it's just awesome. Yeah. Well, has she, has she played a role um, in any of your business decisions? In other words, do you, do you lean on her intuition? And, oh, yeah. and, and tell, tell me, uh, tell me about how that works between you guys. Well, I mean, we were actually, I, she, she spent 17 years with IBM as a business analyst and when I started Salon Support, the distribution company, I actually asked her if she would come and take it over because the mayor had asked me to come and start the Business Assistance Center. Mm-hmm. 1995, we lost 50,000 jobs to base closings and things. So she didn't want to do it. She is much happier in the support role. She does not like to be the first person, the person in the big chair. But I said, sweetheart, you know, this little company is like a lemonade stand. We did a couple hundred thousand dollars our first year. Just do what you can with it you know, take the buyout from IBM. So she did. Well, she took that little company and 12 years later, like you said, it became the second largest distributor of tanning lotion products in the world, really. And and that was all Jane. I'd come in and help the sales team and do some projects and stuff, but that was all Jane. And so she has this incredible gifting for organization, for uh, leadership, for just people trusting her. Mm. But she still doesn't like to be the the person, the first person. She mm-hmm. always likes to take that supporting role. So for me, you know, being married to an entrepreneur, um, you you have to have the person that will tell you the truth when everybody else is just trying to get on your good side. Mm-hmm. And so she is my truth teller. She loves me more than she cares about how I feel. <laughs> she doesn't mind making I you do. uncomfortable with realities. What you're telling very me. valuable, yes. <laughs> And so we're, we're just this perfect play off each other. I mean, if I, if I show up with something that doesn't look good on me, you know, I like the colors and clothes that look good on a car. Right. They don't <laughs> yeah. look good on a man. Yeah, so once in a while, I'll go crazy and spend 50 bucks on a shirt. And I'll say, what do you think about this, baby? And she'll say, mm, not so much. <laughs> it's not the best color, sweetie. Well, so, yeah, that's awesome. Well, so you, you work with a lot of executives, um, I'm curious about when you sense that these young men are struggling with their marriage, what are, what are some of the first couple things you, uh, you advise them on? Well, it, it, it's, it's, there's a pattern to everything. These things are kind of packages mm. and, you know, it's kind of like what I tell people when they're, when they're aspiring to be the leader of a company and they've been in the company for maybe five years or 10 years. I say, look, it's different in the big chair. When you get there, no matter where you were in the organization before, it's a different view and it's a different responsibility. And the things that got you there won't keep you there. Things that got you there were politics and hard work and beating the internal competition and showing that you could rise above challenges, all those things. But when you get there, it's about equity and fairness and vision. 
and, and making sure that everybody understands there's only so many resources and today sales gets them and production doesn't. And tomorrow maybe production will get it and operations won't. Mm-hmm. But there's only so much and you know in the corporate checkbook every day. Well, it's no different in marriage. I asked, I asked, I asked these men the question, what percentage do you think you should bring to the marriage? And by and large, they say, well, 50-50. And I said, well, what happens when somebody shows up with 40? Where's the other 10 come from? And they shake their head. <laughs> said, Let me tell you where it comes from. It comes from the marriage. Mm-hmm. And if today it's 10, 10% short, tomorrow is 30% short, the next day it's another 20% short, eventually the marriage starves to death. And that's what we call divorce. Mm-hmm. Your job is to come and bring 100% every day. Mm-hmm. Now, she may or may not bring 100%, but it doesn't matter because you got your 100 in there and it, it's all good. Now, if she happens to bring some like 50 or 60 or 70, do some cool things with the excess. <laughs> I do, love it. Bless, bless on some other people. Yeah. Raise some kids. Start well, a company. There's a, there, there seems to be a correlation between um, sticking it out um, in your marriage and really investing in your marriage and the growth of the business. Because what I've noticed is, for me, um, my bandwidth, you know, Jennifer and I had some really rough years when the kids were teenagers, because that's just hard as hell. There's no way around it. Um, But it was hard on us because of our parenting differences and stuff like that. But I just remember that window of time being really hard to, to grow my business because I didn't have the mental bandwidth um, to do it. Like it was really, uh, it really took up quite a bit of my mental space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can tell you being on the other end, on the other side of that struggle, uh, it is like rocket power. Like this feels great because I, I have a, I mean, cause it, it sounds like Jane is a cheerleader to you and I, and I, just admire that. I think I've always noticed that from afar with you guys and just admired it and just actually longed for it. And now that I've really got it, it's like, it, you know, it's next level performance yeah. coming out of me. It is. I mean, you know, of all the people I tell people, look, if, if I get up in the morning and, and Jane Ford is for me, mm. I don't care who's against me. <laughs> if I get up in the morning and, and Jane is against me, there aren't enough people on this continent to be for me to make me be okay. I mean, I just can't function mm. because she and I don't, there, there's no, there's no division. Now that doesn't mean we're not our own people. Right. It doesn't mean we're codependent. Right. It just, it just means that we found in each other's hearts and each other's minds, the ability mm. to be more than we are individually. Exactly. And so well, we don't have to fear that. And, and mm. I think it's the same way for CEOs and owners. You know, we, we, there's always a certain amount of fear and leadership. And what I, what I, help these folks recognize, because, you know, coaching only does two things, Craig. It creates awareness and then it creates actions out of that awareness. I mean, drop the mic. Don't overcomplicate it. It's not, it's not uh, counseling. It's not mentorship. It's not discipling. There's elements of those things in there. But basically it's saying you've only got so many days in your life. They're numbered. You don't get to live this one over again. Why choose to be miserable when you can choose to be happy, happy with yourself, happy with the people around you? Well, choice. Choices are always yours. Yes. What's interesting about you? You know, I've come across a lot of consultants and coaches out there, um, Tony, that that have very few battle scars. Um, and, and you, 
on the, yeah. you're very unique because you've owned so many companies and made a lot of money along the way. When did you decide to take a pay cut, really, um, to step away from the battle and become Yoda for these entrepreneurs? Well, I, I guess about five years ago when I turned 60, mm-hmm. I had started Bride Television. I would uh, gathered the money. We got on distribution. And at two years, I told my two partners, I said, listen, I got to go. And they said, you going on vacation? I said, no, I'm leaving the company. What do you mean you're leaving the country? So you got cancer or something? No, nothing wrong with me. God, thank you, Lord. Um, I have used every tool I know to get us to this place. Now, I'm going to start doing it a third time and it won't work. So, Michael, you have spent 30 years in television. You need to be the CEO. Craig, you're a horse expert, world champion. You need to be our production president. And you need to hire somebody to do the business stuff that I've been doing. And I need to back away and just be the biggest cheerleader you ever had. Well, that was seven years ago. So then I wrote a book and I did some speaking, did all the other stuff, you know, people do after they don't have anything else better to do. And I'd always mentored younger entrepreneurs. I mean, all the way through from the very beginning. But I, but I was confused about what coaching was. Mm. And so I went and started getting all of my certifications and trainings uh, for the International Coach Federation, which is the, the largest body of coaches in the world. I think mm-hmm. there's something like 20,000 or 200,000 of us around the world. Mm-hmm. And they have a very strict code of ethics, which I really like, that holds us accountable for what we do say or don't say. And so I realized that coaching was something different than what I thought. Coaching has no agenda. The agenda is the clients. All the choices are the clients. Coaching can, cannot fix certain things. I can't coach somebody out of alcoholism or drug abuse or spousal abuse. I can't coach out of that. That's not coachable. But what I can do is I can help people raise their awareness of things that they're doing to themselves and their level of self-awareness. And then I can say, you're doing this thing. You're unhappy about it. Do you want to choose an alternative? Yeah, I do. Okay. Let's talk about what those alternatives might be. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know is never going to be an answer. (laughs) So let's start figuring it out. And we do. And there might be three or four or five alternatives. Hey, there's five alternatives. Which one do you want to try first? Okay, that's your homework. Everybody that leaves coaching that that week gets homework because we're in a change. We're a change process. So as you um, as you reflect back. Um, because you've had, I don't know, what's the number of businesses you've counted them? I'm guessing. I think you count the one I've got now, eight, but you know, this is kind of like a popsicle stand. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny the way you just got it. Um, I, I'm sure that there are some particular failures that Mm -hmm. you often draw from and stories that you often tell and draw from to, to help these, these young entrepreneurs. Can you share one or two of your favorite failures? Yeah, I can give you one from last week. So last week I lost about four, about $4 million on ride television. Hmm. Yeah. Ouch. That's, that's, that's a big well, number. What happened? Ride television is a television network goes all over the world that captures the horse lifestyle primarily through events. Guess how many events there have been in the last year? Mm, zero. Yeah. So basically, we broke the rule. There's only one rule in business. Don't run out of money. You can break all the others, but it's just like Monopoly. You run out of money, all goes back in the box. You can play again tomorrow. You just can't play here. 
Hmm. So had a big uh, meeting with our board. We had more debt than we had than the value of the of the company. We had a buyer. Buyer wanted to buy it. We decided we better sell it so that we can settle our debts and take care of our investors. And so we did. So what should have been about a four million dollar payday for what I've done so far ended up being it'll end up being about forty thousand. I'll buy Jane half a car. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> she can pick which which half she wants. You know, you want the front or you want the trunk? I don't care. You know, pick one. Um, but, it, but I go back to what my mentor, Larry Raglan, used to say to me. He said, young squirrel, every time we come to work as an entrepreneur, we pull out a, qu- a quarter out of our pocket and we flip it in the air. It falls over here, we make a million dollars. It falls over there, we starve to death. Mm-hmm. If you can't get up and flip that coin every morning, you can't be an entrepreneur. Mm. Mm. I think there's some misunderstandings about, um, about this topic a, a lot of times because um, I think that I think people think they want to be an entrepreneur when really that coin toss, as you describe it, is really unsettling um, yeah. to most people. Yeah. Um, would you agree with that? Well, I, I think the world is divided up into two groups, the hunters and the farmers. The, hunter, the hunters are the entrepreneurs. The tribe can't survive the winter without the hunters. They got to bring in the meat so they can survive while the farmers are waiting for the seeds to become crops. And the tribe can't survive without the farmers because you can't live on meat. You have to have crops to survive the summer and, and the fall and all that. So both, both groups are, are important. Unfortunately, for every, for every hunter, there's like 10 farmers. Mm. And so farmers tend to look down on hunters. The world kind of, and, and you know, you're, you've been at this a long time. It's only lately that being an entrepreneur was cool. First 20 years of my career, entrepreneur was a euphemism for unemployed. (laughs) Oh, you're an entrepreneur. Hey, can you send me your resume? Found a company. I don't know. (laughs) Well, my brother-in-law came to Thanksgiving dinner and he said he was an entrepreneur and he's always unemployed. He's not an entrepreneur. He's a moron. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's, you know, one of the things in your bio really caught my attention. Talk about flipping the coin. Well, it's not really... It is flipping the coin, but you uh, you were the founding and uh, VP and general manager of Flash Photo, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, which was you know a, a chain of eight stores uh, that developed film in an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my question is, because um, I don't know the time frame of this, but I, I'm, I'm interested in just the a moment where you realize that the digital phase was coming um, because I'm sure that was something that, that was in that environment at the time. What, um, you know, cause our, our world has actually been surrounded in the last decade really by things that replace a widget with something invisible, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of what happened in that world. Tell me how you dealt with that. Well, it's not actually what caused the demise of the one hour photo finishing uh, companies. Traditionally, drugstores, CVS, Walgreens, used photo uh, processing as a loss leader to get people into the store. They would bring their roll of film, they'd leave it, they'd come back in a week and they'd pick it up. Meantime, it went to the factory to get processed 200 miles away with, with a million other rolls of film. We brought the factory to the people, but we recognized that it, probably in about three years, the Walgreens and the CVSs would start buying these machines themselves themselves 
because they will have noticed that they don't have people coming in anymore twice to buy their toilet paper and, and you know, tanning lotion and all that while they're waiting to get their film. So we set up our company on a three-year trajectory so that we sold it just as the, the, the drugstores of the world took back film processing. They're the ones that kind of got hit in the face with digital. How interesting. Golly, I'm so glad you described it that way. I, I, first of all, didn't ever think of a Walgreens using this as a loss leader. So people come in and buy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whatever else they buy at a drugstore. I didn't even consider that. And so you, I guess then my follow-up question is, you know, when you're building a business, you have your head down. Mm-hmm. You're focused on such a wide variety of details and things like that. Mm-hmm. How is it that someone can run a business but also be aware of that three-year plan at the same time? Like it just is a really difficult thing because it's something that you were you're in the middle of building it and expanding it and expanding locations, but you also knew it had a shelf life at the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was laying the floor tile hmm. building it. <laughs> hmm. I mean, we were physically in there building the things. Uh, funny story about that. I, I laid all this floor tile over a weekend in our first store, and my partner came in, and he looked down, and he said, <laughs> why'd you put the wall tile on the floor? <laughs> so for the next three years, every time somebody would come in, I'd hear this popping sound. It would be those little bitty wall tiles cracking. God, I hated those things. <laughs> Oh, that's all. Awesome. You can't make this stuff up, man. Yeah. So anyway, we yeah, we got it right the second store. But back to your question. It sounds like even though we were heads up enough to know there was a time frame to this thing, what we didn't realize, and this is really goes back to your fo- first point about how technology kind of eclipses some industries. Mm-hmm. We paid $150,000 a piece for those development suites from Naritsu. Mm-hmm. Two years later, Agfa... Konica, Fuji, and Kodak were all making the same kind of machines for about $40,000. So we still had these machines only half paid for by the time we got out of the company. And the drugstores were bringing it in at a third of the price that we paid for it. So it wasn't all, you know, fun and roses. Yeah. We, we didn't account for that part. Yeah. <laughs> That's Whoops. that coin. That's that coin falling on the Whoops, wrong yeah, side. There it goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, hate those days. Hate them. Well, one of the cool things about this podcast is that it's produced for me, selfishly, just some really intriguing, awesome launches with these younger up-and-comers because, you know, one of the goals of this podcast is to connect guys that are older than me to guys that are younger than me. I'm kind of in this middle spot. Um, And I'm curious, because of your new vocation uh, now, are there any sort of common blind spots that um, these up-and-coming entrepreneurs typically have? Like, or if you notice, I know you've noticed some patterns, but what... what How long what you some, got? <laughs> well, just, just pick some, some of that, Tony, that are... That are um, because I know in a coaching relationship, you know, one of the, one of the kind of the unspoken rules is you, you've got to draw people out, right? You've right. got to draw them out because they actually have the solution in their head and, and, and your job is to draw them out. Um, so this is your chance to not do that, but speak directly. Well, what I, what I do with these folks first is I have an initial interview and I try to decide if there's somebody that really needs a coach. 
Because hmm. a lot of people want to be coached, but they don't really, coaching won't help them. It's not, it's not for what they want. And so if I determine that, they, that they're a good candidate for coaching, the second question I ask is, is this a good person? Because if they're not a good person, I'm not going to coach them. The world doesn't need more bad people doing better. You know, <laughs> yeah, bad. Right. I'm just not going to, I'm out of that. Yeah. And so if they're a good person and they really, and coaching will really help them, I show them how it works. And then I say, look, this is a trust relationship. I don't really need your money. I'm going to charge you money because I want you to pay attention. I don't need your money. I need your trust and I need your cooperation. If you'll give me those two things, we'll get a lot of good work done. And I said, you're going to, you're going to find that every time you come to a, oh, wow, there's another, oh, wow, down the road attached to it. Hmm. And, that, and that's why, I mean, I end up coaching these guys sometimes two years, hmm. every week for two years. That's over 100 conversations. You think, how can you talk about enough things to have 100 conversations? Well, think about who they are. They're entrepreneurs. Their whole world changes in six and a half days. Okay. They're parents, husbands and wives. There's a lot going on in their life on all kinds of levels. So professionally, personally, and financially, you know, I tell them, look, if, if you don't get a three to 10 X return in all those areas from having a coach, not just me, any coach, you should fire them because they're not doing a good job for you. Well, I've never been fired. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good. But, but you, but going back to your original question, why did I become a coach? I became a coach because I can do more for more people in Fort Worth through these leaders. If I coach a, if I coach a, a CEO that has 50 employees, I just made 50 people's lives better. I Great. teach them how to be in that big chair mm -hmm. and what that means to the people that are under them counting on them. Mm. And I hopefully lessen the stress of the position too. So it's working in both directions. Be a better boss, but be a better father, be a better husband, mm. be a better wife. You have to be able to integrate all these things. You're only one person. You only get this day once. Right. And so this whole issues of delegation, trust, um, there, there's two, there's two things I teach them all. And I say, confusion breeds fear and agreement breeds trust. And so when we start looking at their lives, they find a lot of areas that, are, that they're in confusion about. And that unmasks the fear they live in. Hmm. And so we help them get agreement in all these areas. And all of a sudden, what was fear becomes trust. Wow. Living in truth, living in trust, that's a whole different way of living than being scared to open your front door. Right. For and the sure. pandemic has just made that worse. It's amplified it because people are bringing fear into the workplace, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even if they're working remotely. So a leader's job is to provide the tools and resources so that everybody else can do their job. And if one of those resources is courage, then they have to have a full heart to extend that. That's a great, uh, you know, you're, you're basically, you're, you're really compounding your personal uh, return on effort by investing in these leaders. And it's my, it's for sure kind of this, this passion that I have um, because mainly because Tony, I know what it's like to be alone. Mm -hmm. um, that's the whole reason behind this podcast is because, you know, I lost a couple million dollars and I was 29 years old or 30 years old. And I mean, and I have two babies on the ground. I mean, it's just, it was terrible. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and you touched on this earlier. Um, 
And something tells me that you've also dealt with some of this, your, your own isolation um, in your entrepreneurial yeah, I mean, world. Um, I so, mean, the, it's the lonely, the thing we do, Craig, hmm. it's the loneliest endeavor on the planet. I mean, who are you going to talk to? Your partner? They're probably part of the problem. Your employees? They're probably part of the problem. You're certainly part of theirs. Your wife? Well, if she's in the business, she's probably part of your problem and you're part of hers. <laughs> if she's not in the business, you can spend all night explaining the situation just to look over there and watch her nod off. It's like, oh, wow, it's 1130. Gee, I didn't know I talked so long. You have to be able to talk to somebody that gets it and won't judge you. I mean, a lot of my guys, they, they come in and they just, they're just, you know, their hearts are broken. Mm-hmm. And I say, why is your dog in the dirt? Talk to me. And they go, da, 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 da. And then my best guy left. Hmm. Hey, how long was he with you? Two years. What was he responsible for? Boom, 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 boom. Which means now they're going to be responsible for that. Hmm. While they got to go find somebody. Then they got to train them. And oh, by the way, all the other responsibilities for running the company didn't go anywhere. They hmm. still got to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just crushes their soul. Mm-hmm. And so the faster I can get them out of that loop to where they're better bosses, better leaders, they're going to lose fewer people. What I tell people is, you know, you have to look at your employees like they're on a conveyor belt. Some conveyor belts, if you're a lawn service, your conveyor belt's probably four months long. You hire somebody, they mow grass for you, and at four months, they drop off and go somewhere else. Somebody that's got a law practice, the conveyor belt might be five years. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if you as an owner don't know how long your conveyor belt for your employees are, you can't make good judgments about your staffing. You probably need more people than you think you do because you never get to the place where you're not ultimately doing some of that work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing that work, you're not providing the tools and resources to everybody else in the company that you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Can't do that and that. (laughs) That's true. And you say, well, I don't have enough money to have all those people. You don't have the ability to not have them. we got to figure that out. Yes, that is uh, the sort of this, this isolation piece plus um, being in the survival mode, this sort of this cycle, this never seemingly never ending cycle. Th- that's kind of what it felt like to me because I was and many times in my career. I've been in this fog where I can't see because I. And it's and it's just because it, my eyeballs are underwater, and I'm I'm doing so much and can't get my eyeballs above the water. Cash flow is a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, not getting along with my wife, you know, all these things you start to accrue. Yeah, and it uh, it makes guys do some crazy stuff. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> yeah, I ask I ask I ask my clients sometimes, "What's your addiction?" Yeah, and they go, "I don't have an addiction." I say, "Yeah, you do." And they said, no, I don't. It's okay. It's drugs. It's porn. It's sex. It's gambling. It's, oh, did I say food? Okay, well, it's food. <laughs> I don't need to know what it is, okay? Yeah. yeah. But you need to know what it is, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. And you need to know that we can talk about that mm-hmm. because maybe it's working too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's you never asked your wife and kids if they wanted to be on this roller coaster that you're on. And there's yeah. this resentment at home about it. Yeah. I mean, there's right. always something, right? That they didn't and sign so, up for that. <laughs> no, they didn't sign up for it. And you got to get that squared away because mm-hmm. they're in it now. Mm-hmm. Somehow we got to figure this out. What I what I tell people is, look, I'm not I'm not here to judge you. You'd have to work really hard to make to not make all the mistakes I've made. 
I'm here to tell you that you're human and you got so many days in your life and you need to enjoy as many of them as you can. Let's sort this out. You know, I kind of break, well, they're not really rules, but they're standard practices in coaching, Craig. Mm. Most people coach somebody every other week for 45 minutes. I coach my guys for 90 minutes every week because it might take them 45 minutes just to unload the stuff that's happened since the last time we talked. I don't ever want them to feel rushed. Mm. Now it wears me out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're tired. Wow. That's pretty hard. I mean, that's I, really hard. I, I mean, I, I just had 16 conversations in the last four days with really smart, really intense business owners about really important things that are really, I mean, people's livelihoods and stuff. And so I try to take Fridays off just to get my brains back because <laughs> man, I'm, you know, I'm old and I'm tired. <laughs> Thank you for giving Monday's, me a Friday morning. I really well, feel honored. <laughs> but, but Monday's coming. You know, yeah. I know, I know right now Monday's coming. Don't work too hard. Don't, you know, don't work on your cars too much. Get some rest because when I show up at eight 30 in front of my first client, they, de- they deserve the best Tony they can get. Yeah, they do for sure. Well, they you, do. you, um, you wrote an article I read, um, entitled the, the high cost of low self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said something, Tony, that really punched me in the gut. And, uh, it was quote, as highly capable individuals, we often fall into the trap of believing we are good at most things. Yeah. That right there is a real gut punch because it, it it really, I'd like you to talk about how that relates to delegation and, and go ahead. I'll I'll let you. Well, what, what, you know, obviously when you start a company, you start a marriage, you start a family, Mm -hmm. uh, you're the only one there to do anything. And at some point, because you've done it, you think you're the best in the building at it. And because you waited too long to hire somebody that's actually their expertise, they are subject experts in that area. You're not. You're a generalist. They're a specialist. You put them in that position. And then even though your job is to provide tools and resources as the owner, you keep visiting it. Maybe maybe your favorite job in the company was sales. Maybe you came out of sales. So you're going back. You have a national sales manager. You have 30 salespeople. And you spend two hours a day in the sales room. What's that about? Let the sales manager do her job. Get out of her way. Go run the company. That's what we do. But more than that, before there is other people in our companies, we spend way too much time doing things that don't matter. One of the things I ask my owners, I say, do you make the bank deposit every day? Do you take the money bag down to the company, down to the the bank? They go, yeah. I said, okay, how many many administrative employees do you have? Well, I have 12. Nobody in those 12 is capable of taking a sealed bag of money down to the bank, which is four blocks away. Well, yeah, I guess they could do that. Well, then why are you doing it? Because you're taking an hour out of your day plus your lunch to deposit money. Then they get kind of shy. They just want to get away from their people. Okay. And that's okay. Yeah. But let's do it. Let's call it what it is. Let's not make 12 other people think that they're incompetent and they can't make the bank deposit. Mm. Give the bag to somebody and go take a two hour lunch. Mm. You own the company. You get to do that. Start being truthful with yourself first and your people second. Hey, what is it that you, what, what is it that, um, 
you think blinds us from that that kind of reality? Um, pride. We, pride. Okay. Pride. It's the original sin. Hmm. It's the it's before there was a hallmark. It was the gift that keeps on giving. Right. We are proud people, and you know, look, we're good at what we do. If you look out there in the world, mediocrity is the norm. In school, if you get a 60, it's a D. It's almost an F. In business, if you get a 60, you're probably about a C. Mm -hmm. So if you can, if your organization put out a 70 or 75 in the mediocre world of service out there, you're Del Frisco's. Yeah, you're winning. Yeah. And, and that, that dumbing down of the standard has a corrosive effect on your workforce, ultimately on you. It's not good. So if you're going to go into something, I, I tell people, don't become, don't become an entrepreneur if you're going to do this poorly. We're working hard here to, to be elite. We're working hard to do this at a high level, to set a standard. Don't come in here and be lazy and, and stupid and just don't. This is my profession. This is our profession. We're proud of it like doctors and lawyers and engineers are proud of it. Don't come in here and stink it up. Don't do that. Don't call yourself an entrepreneur just because you can't get a job. Don't do that. Hmm. That's, that's one of the things I get my backup about because, you know, somebody tells me they're an entrepreneur. I say, oh, what are you doing? And they tell me, well, you know, I'm making cakes in my kitchen and I'm selling them to my relatives. Well, no, you're just a good brother-in-law. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. What's your vision? Well, I don't have a vision. I just like cooking cakes. Well, that's okay. Good. You <laughs> yeah. might be a baker and you might be a good, good brother-in-law, but you are not an entrepreneur. Sorry. Yeah. That requires a vision. Yeah, it does. So let's get the words right. Well, um, you touched on uh, an idea that I want to circle back to, which is um, you, you said the, the two words together, internal competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and pride falls in that category um, mm-hmm. for sure. I'd like you to um, outline some other internal competitions that you normally see because you're, you're basically – meeting with these entrepreneurs and you're you're leaning on your past you're leaning on your past experiences you're leaning on the past things you've done wrong um to help tease these things out what are some of these common things that these these internal blocks that you're helping these entrepreneurs realize well I, there's there's three things there are three themes i guess that we coach around a lot first one is anger second one is fear the third one is procrastination. I call them, the, you know, the, the three, the three evil horsemen. Um, we, we, we get angry about something and then we get fearful. And so we don't do something about it. We procrastinate. And because we procrastinate, we get mad at ourselves. We get angry. And then we get afraid that we're never going to do it. And then we get going, not do it again. So it's a, it's a circle downward. People are confused about companies. They think that they think that that businesses are like bumblebees or helicopters or hummingbirds that, that they can hover. Businesses don't hover. They're either going down or they're going up. They don't know how to hover. And so if an owner convinces themselves, well, you know, I've gotten to this place and I'm going to stay here. No, you're not. I'm going to come into your industry. I'm going to take your best people and I'm going to put you in the ground. Sorry. You're not my enemy, but you are my competition. And, and these are my people and I'm responsible for them, not your people. But you're not taking care of your people because you just want to hang around here. Uh-uh, sorry, don't get to do that. Hang around for a little while, you can, you're probably okay. Hang around for a month, somebody's going to notice and take your people away. 
<laughs> the only reason that a company should exist, Craig, is to grow. Mm. Because if you're not growing your company, you're not growing your people's dreams. Yeah. That's they didn't true. sign up for stagnation. They signed up for a better tomorrow than, a be- than, the- than today. And you better know that as an owner because that's your job. It's true. And it's a, it's a balance. And I'm, one of the things I struggle with is that I, I tend to think so far ahead that, and um, am driving so hard that um, I get sometimes a little bit of pushback and resentment. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, and this has been said to me, um, that, man, you know, when is enough en- enough for you? Or it feels like you're always moving the goalpost. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm thinking out loud with you, my coach at the moment. Um, I, I struggle with that a lot because it, it seems like I, I feel misunderstood mm-hmm. because it's not that I want more money. I, I think it might be more that, that number one, I want to win, but my agenda to win is really revolves around protecting the platform I've created that yeah, well, they're so that's that fear. That, yeah, they enjoy, they enjoy being in the environment and enjoy the, the business. Um, and if we're all afraid, we're going to, we're all afraid we're going to lose what we have. And so we project into the future to figure out how to keep it by doing more. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time dragging my guys backwards to the present. Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about not living in the future. Future has all its trouble of its own. You'll get there. Don't worry. It's, it's there waiting for you. Live in the day. You only have today. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. Hell, we don't have any guarantee of the next 10 minutes. I get notified pretty much every week of somebody my age or even younger. They died. They don't have a tomorrow in this world. Mm-hmm. All their plans, all their visions, it died with them. Sorry. So learning to live in the present while enjoying the vision of the future, mm-hmm. it's a real thing. Um, there's a quote I love. It says that it says, worry does not empty today, that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Hmm. I really need to I really not need to to figure out what am I afraid of? Um, because I do, I do mash the gas every which way. Um, yeah. and it, and it oftentimes runs people over it, it, the, the company has this whiplash that happens occasionally where I'm just like, I'm just running and gunning and I've got yeah. all these ideas and most of them are terrible. Yep. Uh, and they, you frust- need to stop taking a shower. <laughs> because you, uh, you're saying I should walk around and smell just a little. No, bad no I'm or... saying, I'm saying the owner takes a shower mm. and they get this big idea and then they come in and they tell their subordinates and their subordinates got their heads down and they're dutifully writing it down and they kind of trudge out of the office and this happens every day. And then finally, you know, they come up and say, listen, listen, I know this idea you got today is a great idea, but we got 127 of these great ideas. So like, they're like train cars. Hmm. and we've only got one engine mm-hmm. and honest to God, Craig, we've been trying to pull this thing <laughs> every day as you keep adding cars, but we're grinding to a halt. So, so which one of these great ideas do you want us to keep prosecuting? And you go, well, I've forgotten everyone, but the one yesterday. 
That's the truth. Oh my gosh, that's the truth. <laughs> Wait, that what? I don't remember that. Are you really working? It's on still that? on their yeah. list. It ain't on yours. So what I tell guys is, quit taking a shower because you're killing your people. Mm. Yes. Do whatever you got to do. Sponge bath. You know, yeah. <laughs> close out the backyard. Whatever it'll take to stop coming in with the next great idea because you're wearing those folks out. Yeah, and I, I uh, I'm, I'm guilty of that, and I've, I've put some stops in place where I kind of. I kind of let an idea simmer for about 90 days before I bring it to anybody. There you, know, you have, go. I have a, yeah. I have, and it works. You because yourself. I have, yeah. I've got this, this, um, uh, I, I use an iPad, uh, and I've got it, you know, where I, you can actually handwrite stuff. And I have this brain sweep folder and, um, I just put my ideas in there. I have to, otherwise, I mean, I'll drive everybody crazy. Um, because most of them are terrible. Um, you know what I tell people? Hmm. I say ideas are precious. Paper is cheap. Yes, <laughs> that's right. In my case, it's not even paper; it's just digital. It's like I got an endless Dropbox. Old school, yeah. <laughs> of- Electrons are even cheaper. <laughs> commit, commit your great idea of the day mm. to a journal mm. or to an electric thing, and we'll see if it's good tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Let's see. Because, you know, good ideas are like wine. It really does get better with time. Mm -hmm. Give it time. So circle back to how fear and because you really listed anger, fear and procrastination as the three horsemen, as you described. How is because I struggle with procrastination quite a lot. Um, Personally, I just kind of I kind of fall into this spot. And and I'm guessing that it's it's just some sort of fear, but I I can't ever really pinpoint it. Um, How are those two connected? Well, fear of failure is a form of procrastination. If I don't try, I can't fail. Because I didn't try. Mm -hmm. So I just won't try. Mm -hmm. So that was a good idea. One of the hundred, it actually was a good idea, but it's, I might look bad. I might, and you know what? I've really got a lot on my plate already. Dang. Nobody could, nobody could blame me if I didn't do that thing. Because I'm busy. Just ask me. I'll tell you. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. Yeah, I'm busy. So, so we, we find shelter in our busyness when, in point of fact, most of the busyness isn't about things that really matter. Mm-hmm. It's just busyness. Yeah. And so in coaching, we strip away the value proposition of a lot of things mm-hmm. and say, all right, it's like cleaning out your closet. Right. You know, if you've looked at that shirt a hundred times, but never worn it, it's somebody else's shirt. Mm-hmm. Get it out of there. <laughs> You're never going to wear the thing. You're okay. Right. It's 70 bucks. You made a bad buying decision. You waited too long to take it back. I'm talking to myself now. <laughs> I'm going to get it from here and go clean out my closet. Own it. Be done with it. Put it in your, put it in your rear mirror. Make some space. Yes. Make some space. Yeah. Make some space. Space is wonderful. Space is beautiful. It is beautiful. Well, this has been, so we're running low on time, Tony. This has been so much fun. And just the, just the volume of, uh, of wisdom has just been terrific. Um, I want to end up with a couple of rapid fire questions and we, we've got time. If you want to riff on them a little bit longer, uh, the first one won't take long at all, but 
uh, in your intro, I read the fact that you rode the Hotter in Hell, which is, for those of you listeners that don't know what that is, it's a bike race in Wichita Falls in August that's done every year with thousands and thousands of participants, and they ride 100 miles. Uh, it's brutal. It's called the Hotter in Hell 100, and you rode it on a freaking mountain bike. Why did you do that? Because anybody can ride it on a road bike. <laughs> of course. <laughs> You're right. Anybody, and, and I'm sure, I mean, I can only imagine the, as you're passing these other people on road bikes, what they're saying to you. Or, well, I, I, I got to tell you, it was about, the funny thing about the, the Hotter Than Hell 100, you ride 50 miles out of town and the wind is blowing in your face like a blast furnace. I mean, it's miserable. And you're thinking to yourself the whole time, you start seeing people coming back, right? There's 18,000 of you out there. So you start seeing people coming back and you're thinking, oh, it's going to get good now when I turn around. Well, you turn around and the damn thing's still in your face. You're like, how can that be? It just is. How can the wind blow the same way in two directions? But it does. I've asked a, I've asked 100 people. They say, yeah, what's up with that? So anyway, that's disappointing. But on the way back at about the 75-mile mark, there's a hill. It's a long highway hill. And... Uh, so I'm pedaling, you know, I'm in this little granny gear. I'm doing this. I'm going about one mile an hour. I mean, you yeah. can walk faster. And there's literally a guy walking his road bike up. So I go past him and I kind of look over my shoulder. He take, and this is a, this was a really expensive Cannondale bike. I and mean, it's like a $2,000 bike. He looks at me doing this. He takes his bike and he just throws it in the ditch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's and awesome. Said, if that fool can do that, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm out. This is it. I'm out. I'm a- Well, so uh, if you um, could uh, hop in a DeLorean and go back in time, like Back to the Future, and you could whisper something into your 30-year-old self, um, Mm -hmm. what would you say? Well, first of all, I'd be a Porsche because I'm a Porsche guy. Uh, (laughs) I I would say, don't take yourself so seriously because nobody else does. Mm. You need to lighten up, Tony. This is not a race. It's a marathon. Mm. And the value is not in things. The value is in people. Good. So, so quit, quit trying to get all you can, can all you get set on the can and start looking around at the people in your life and how you can make their lives better because that's all that's going to matter when this is over. You know, God doesn't care about things. He only cares about the hearts of people. Hmm. That's what I need to care about because I serve him. Do you think you would have listened? Probably not until I got run over by that boat. Hmm. That was that was the best and the worst thing that ever happened to me. When you go from being a, a world-class mountain climber, bicyclist, on and on and on, to being an invalid, to where you can't get out of a chair, it, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm sorry to say it, most people can get their mind's right with a slap on the wrist. It took me 10 years. My head is pretty hard and thick, but God got me squared away. Hmm. He said, all right, Tony, you've done a really good job with things. Now let's do a good job with people. Okay. Thank you. Message received. (laughs) Wow. In a, in a manner that you would never expect. Nope. Wow. But he'll use, you know, he can hit us. He can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. He'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> You're full of one-liners, man. I love it. 
I'm going to go back and listen to this and write them all down. Um, so if you, um, uh, what are some of your um, favorite books that you recommend? Um, maybe one that has to do with people and maybe one that has to do with business. Well, I can tell you who moved your cheese and what seat on the bus to set on and what good to great looks like and all that other stuff. I've got a whole library of all those books and I've read at least 30 pages of each one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I tell, I tell my guys, I actually assign this to my clients. Um, the best business book I've ever read is Proverbs. Mm, for sure. I read a chapter of Proverbs every morning, been doing it for 10 years. You'd think I'd know it by now, but all of life is accomplished effectively through wisdom. And if it, my belief is, if it is wisdom, it's God's wisdom. It's not man's wisdom. And King Solomon in those 31 chapters captured what God believes is wisdom and what works with people. And so as my guys read that every morning, I give them a devotional too, but it's like they read that every morning, they start realizing they're doing a lot of things that are not wisdom. Hmm. They're foolishness and foolishness is a waste of time. And time is a limited thing we have. So the faster you figure out that you're wasting it, the more wise you become. So, you know, people always, they always ask me that question. They're always disappointed. The answer is like, well, the Bible I said, well, not the Bible Bible. And I love reading the Bible too, but particularly Proverbs. Yeah. It's wisdom literature. Duh. And yeah. it's handy because there's 31 chapters. And I'll tell you something for, for all the ladies out there. The only chapter of Proverbs that is not written by a man is chapter 31. It's written by King Lemuel's mother. She's a queen. And she's describing for her son, who is a king, the type of woman he should marry, hmm. who is good enough to be a queen beside him. And so the Proverbs 31 woman is not a man's opinion of what a woman should be like. It's a woman's opinion of what a queen should be like. I love that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I totally missed that. Um, it's a mom. Re- it's a mom writing to her son. <laughs> wow. I never yeah. knew that. That's awesome. Well, um, you know, you mentioned time just now and how valuable it is. And um, what is your number one, the, the, the number one thief of your time? Cars. Cars. I Did, love to work on my cars. Yeah. And it's, and it's getting harder every year because I don't, I don't have as much energy and it takes more out of my body to recover. Mm-hmm. And so what I might've worked on for three hours then the next day, taking it to the track. If I work on it three hours, I'm not going to the track. Mm. You know, I, I've got artificial knees, shoulders, back. They're God's gift, but they don't necessarily work well with the other natural parts. And so I have to really, I have to limit myself and how much physical labor I do. Otherwise I don't function very well the next day. It's just a getting old thing. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean. Well, you, uh, you said you were a Porsche guy, but you also have a BMW M3. Uh, what, tell me which one you like on the track best. You know what? I'm really divided. They're Are both you? monsters, but very different. The, the, the BMW is a beast, but it's kind of under control. It's 4,000 pound car. Mm-hmm. The, the Porsche is built for the track. I mean, it's, it's just, Rear wheel, you know, rear engine, it hugs the curves, but it's a little confusing when I go from one to the other because they drive very different differently. A guy asked me one time, he said, What's the difference between oversteer and understeer? I said, Oversteer 
the front of your car hits the wall first, understeer the back of your car hits the wall first. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter. Because <laughs> you're, awesome. you're going to the body shop either way. Yeah, <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, if you were to ask your friends what your superpower is, what would they say? Seeing the brilliance in other people. Mm. Seeing what they can't see. I can see. see it a long time before they see it. Mm. Always been that way. And then hopefully I'm in a role in their life that I can say, hey, I see something in you that I don't think you recognize, but it's powerful. It's your superpower. Mm. If you want, I can help you find it. That's <laughs> great. Okay. So uh, last question. Emotional intelligence or IQ? Emotional intelligence. All Every day time. Long. I'm with you. hundred yeah, percent. I mean, I'll tell you something else. I've got a really high IQ and it's, and it's, been, a, it's been a problem my whole life. Because people don't care how smart you are. They care how much you care. Mm. So I tamp that thing down and say, it doesn't matter how fast you process information. You need to slow down and be available to that person that's sitting in front of you. I've intentionally not tested my IQ because I'm afraid of what it'll say. <laughs> it'll be high. You already know it's high. No, I'm like, I'm kind of, a, no, actually that fear and procrastination no. are linked to that. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. No, Craig, Craig, you're smarter than the average bear and that's been a problem your whole life, I guarantee you. <laughs> well, man, this, Tony, this has been such a blast and you are a true rarity and are making the world a better place. It just warms my heart because you're really diving in, rolling up your sleeves and diving into isolated entrepreneurs. I mean, um, just totally awesome. And I really appreciate you coming on the True Grit podcast. Um, any parting words from you? Give Jane and God the credit. Yeah. Jim. That's the truth of the matter. <laughs> Jane and God. That's awesome, Tony. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, we will link to the show notes. How do people get uh, uh, in touch with you, by the way? Well, they can go to my website. It's uh, actually, I, mine's easy. It's, it's uh, T Ford at Tony Ford.com. T Ford. All right. Cool. Awesome. And you know what? When I, just one little thing. I have six other coaches. Mm. So if somebody contacts me about coaching, I won't necessarily coach them. The others, mm. I'll introduce them to everybody. Right. My coaches don't pay me anything right. for getting them work. It's the worst business model in the world. Yeah, it sounds terrible, but it's smart. Well, but right. I've got, I, my mission is to get people coaching, not, yeah. to, not to make money on other people's back. Right. Okay, I've done that for my whole life. I just want to make sure that people get a coach. Awesome. Well, thanks a bunch, Tony. We'll talk soon. Okay. We'll Good have see lunch. You, Greg. Thanks. Bye. Well, folks, that wraps up our show for this week. If you found this interview helpful and would like to get pearls of wisdom that I've gathered along the way, go to TrueGritPodcast.com and subscribe to the True Grit blog. You will get short, helpful emails written by yours truly. Included in these posts, you will also get the show notes with links to books, articles, and other cool things I run across. Thanks, as always, for listening to the True Grit Podcast, where we believe that personal growth and helping each other solve important problems is the best way to make the world a better place. And don't forget, building a company and a life of meaning takes true grit. <laughs>